Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Welcome to the Beardy and the Beast Media Club, a discussion of media where we will not shy away from spoilers. We'll not leave those spoilers to be dragged away in the dark abyss. We're available here and on many other services with a full list at beardyandthebeast.com. Give us a like, follow us, and of course, join the discussion in the comments. My name is Drew, and with me, of course, is the looming host body, Devin. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing the 2020 sci-fi horror, Underwater. So Devin, were you able to explore the depths of this piece? Um, well, depths may not be the right word to use. <laughs> With that being said, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Uh, I'm suspecting you didn't. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you on this one, Devin. <laughs> I did not thoroughly enjoy this film. I only nominally enjoyed this film. <laughs> it was all right. It was better than expected. Positives, negatives. It's just for something that was on my list that I didn't even know what uh, genre it was until yeah. like an hour beforehand when I texted you with like, what is it? What is even this movie? <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I so I only heard about this movie from another podcast that I watch, mm. and they were defending the film against another channel that I watch. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to um, make you got to make those decisions for yourself, right? You got to see that, it and then make a yeah. That, that's exactly where it came from. I mean, part of it was, you know, didn't necessarily go in expecting much, mm. which helped. Uh, but I I think I, I could see this movie becoming a cult classic in the long run, honestly. I think, I, I don't know, that's, that's kind of pushing it from my point of view, because a lot of the things they were doing were just kind of like avert call, calls to things. It seemed like it was trying to replicate the feel of other movies, more of like a carbon copy of instances rather than being its own thing to me. I did, I did however, appreciate the whole thought of uh, sci-fi in the depths of the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's a mostly uh, unexplored sort of thing when it comes to movie, especially like sci-fi horror. Yeah. I think the last one I saw was probably the sphere as like a, a you know a 12-teen year old or some such and I had just read the book. So yeah. It it was kind of a situation but you don't see it often. I to to think about it objectively, I think it I felt like it wanted to be like wanted to be alone in the dark and it wanted to be pitch black and it wanted to be yeah these kind of movies like a group against the darkness you could even maybe even throw a bit of mist in there given that it had that you know lovecraftian feel yeah well it definitely had a lovecraftian feel yes because that actually was cthulhu see i was i was wondering about when that uh, when i was watching it and then it until i saw something in the end where it was like Oh yeah, he's saying that that's legit, legit just Cthulhu. I'm like, really look like any of the de depictions. Well, apparently there was supposed to be a lot of there was a lot of things cut that kind of got cut out mm. that would have tied it to the mythos a bit more. Okay, so, but it is canonically Cthulhu, which canonically makes this the first time Cthulhu's ever appeared in film. I guess, hey. Yep. See, I, it, I actually thought it was going to be tied to Cloverfield. I had that as feeling. As, as soon as the film ended, I went on the internet and I was like, is this a Cloverfield piece? Because mm -hmm. it felt very similar to the Clover, Cloverfield um, movie and the the original like Cloverfield kaiju. Yeah. 
the par the parasites too even felt kind of similar. Yeah. Like felt, but obviously we're not. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing more just straight up calls to the Cthulhu myth mythos in these these levels of production. Yeah. Because usually they're smaller productions that kind of dip into it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I mean, this is kind of the second Lovecraftian film that we've covered at this point. Hmm. Uh, Horizon also would have been. Is Lovecraftian inspired anyway? Yeah, you definitely um, get the inspired rather than, you know, something canonical that you got from this. And I saw it in in post while kind of reading reading through things about the film i got it but the fact that i'm familiar with the cthulhu mythos and had to be told that was what yeah. worked against it yeah it, i agree um it'd be interesting to see what was cut mm. but i mean this movie also kind of went through the protect production uh, heck yeah well not quite there, there's a different trope for it, it it's it's it, not it sat the, on the shelf oh yeah yeah it wasn't right. it wasn't a event horizon situation it was definitely a yeah a kaiju on the shelf yeah situation. <laughs> it was originally recorded in 2017 was it yeah it was finished in 2017 so what i saw it didn't so. feel from a film standpoint it didn't feel that old and like yeah. in in the realm of movies things do change rapidly unless you're looking at your blockbuster superhero things where they're all mostly the same yeah so um it, it's interesting that you said that it felt kind of like a, a kaibot of it trying to be other movies yeah um because like i said there, there's kind of a couple different reviews that i'd i'd heard of this film and that's actually one of the points that the one who was against the film mm. said they said and and they said the film failed because it was trying to be that it's kind of his thing kind of getting over it it's he was saying it's like felt too much like alien and stuff like this it's like no like the movies that you mentioned at least were again that lovecraftian yeah lovecraftian it's it's a situational thing too small group abandoned in darkness uh, against against the unknown in that lovecraftian bubble it, it felt very similar but it didn't feel tropey in that way and yeah. that's why it kind of it's forgivable i would mm -hmm. i would never say that it ruined the film i definitely would say that it would have been better if they were nods to rather than replications because mm. uh, i do i do kind of like that like perfect example of what i mean uh when she was on the when nora was in the suit and she was on top of the light after she went flipping in the water out into the middle of nowhere having the monster kind of like one of the parasite monsters like peek up at her and then kind of disappear and you're like mm -hmm. oh that like it was almost even kind of like cute to the silhouette that it had yeah and then as it got closer like it was obviously not it's definitely something more disturbing looking yeah to me that was more of a nod to the various tropes of horror movies where you can't quite see it and something's coming towards you and you don't know what it is opposed to like maybe i'm just over people getting dragged into that's that's fair because it's like you could almost call it in oh. any movie that has that kind of situation it's like oh yeah i'm gonna get dragged into the darkness someone's gonna there's gonna be screaming i mean i honestly felt like for the most part they averted that i mean we we, we literally see Paul get ripped out of his suit as he got dragged into the darkness, as it were. I, I like that one. The the series of deaths were not predictable. Believe it or not, there was a pattern. Oh, was is this is this the is this a connection to the whole like Alice in Wonderland thing? Because I didn't see a pattern, but no. Uh, the Alice in Wonderland thing I felt was forced. kind of forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. It's like okay, cool. We're making this illusion, but why? No, the order of the deaths 
is the order that Nora meets them. Oh. The order that they're introduced to us in the film. Okay. Outside of Nora. Yeah. That, that might also be why I, I, I didn't recognize it, because I was basing the potential deaths off of uh, tropes, and I thought... Like, I thought Rodrigo would go either till the end or just the end. Yeah. Not being axed right off the gate. And then, of course, Paul thought he would probably die in more of a... Because of his character type, I thought yeah. he would die in a more hero heroic manner. Yeah. Um, But there were things that they did in that way that just were not what I expected. Yeah. And that's what actually saved the film for me. I was going for like you know acting's okay they're doing a great job the sets are nice like every everything is fine but the series of events was what was bugging me and then when you had those unexpected beats like order of death the way that she was dragged away from the group or even the fact that there was like a large kaiju situation mm -hmm. like I didn't I didn't expect that at all yeah I, I thought it would have just been all the little parasite things so so there's a couple things that that I would like to kind of run on from this. Mm. So, um, so I'm just gonna list them off just so I get them said and yeah. kind of kind of break them down. So this film I felt would have been fine even without the monster elements. It had the makings of a good disaster film mm. straight off the bat. Um, the idea and i mean there there's a lot of things led into that as well things like oh no the reactor could be mm -hmm. melting down and stuff like this the again the little monsters could have been the end of it but there was actual when you actually stop and think about it for a second the kaiju cthulhu wasn't as out of place after all mm -hmm. they were talking about earthquakes yeah you see the drill tossed like this massive massive drill tossed there's no way those little monsters did that there was something bigger mm -hmm. and you even kind of get the the groans in the distance that clearly aren't coming from those small things it wasn't it was led up to though again when you're going to the movie especially we're not really having any expectation around it i could see why that would uh, come across as jarring mm. but i do think they actually led up to it yeah well i didn't think it was like a bad thing per se yeah it's yeah. just it was unexpected and that, again those unexpected moments uh are what saved the movie i kind of speaking of the disaster um film point that you mentioned i I like that you said that because when I was originally, like I hadn't even seen a trailer. Mm -hmm. I was just watching this movie. So originally the way that it was introduced to me, I thought it was going to be like a disaster movie with uh, like a psychological thriller in Nora's mind. Okay. During a disaster is what I thought it mm -hmm. would be. Because like isolated... There's an incident, maybe head trauma, and all of a sudden, like, she's seeing things, or she's hearing things, or she's confronting her past. It easily could have went that way. Yeah. And then, of course, the way that they ramped it up, oh, you have a little parasite, bigger thing, and then, like, a host. Actually, oh, big... <laughs> that makes the little, the little parasite make even more sense. Mm. That's just another lead up to those things being parasites on a host body. Yeah. Like it was, it was structured well, but unexpected. When it comes to the, like even those order of deaths, when I was writing my notes, I was like, as soon as I saw Emily, I'm like, oh, she's going to die. I wrote that down. <laughs> Guess um, I'm wrong. It's funny. I didn't write that one down. Um, I wrote down Smith. Oh, oh. you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other only person who survives <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad that emily bay didn't didn't die yeah <laughs> oh, it was... i was gonna mention when characters become endearing to me but as soon as she was like do you have a dog i have a corgi and i'm like oh 
I like this character <laughs> now. Got a dog. It's all it takes to win Drew's heart. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> much true. Got a dog. Got a motorcycle. What's up? <laughs> I guess we're go we're kind of talking about characters, so let's kind of break them down. Right. Contentious for maybe some people, but actually great for me. Kristen Stewart, Nora Price, wonderful job. I know, right? <laughs> I, I I wasn't actually astonished. Like people pigeonhole her as you know Twilight and whatnot, but completely different character in Charlie's Angels, and she was in American Ultra. Home run on that. It was a great movie, and she did so good in it. Or Panic Room way back when with Jodie Foster. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people pigeonhole her for Twilight when she was just like the neutral mask, where the character that, you know, um, teenage girls could and preteen girls could project themselves upon her. And that's why her character in that was as it is. Like, she's actually a pretty good actress, and I think she did a great job here. Yeah. I mean, you and me have been have made fun of Kristen Stewart a lot in the past. Yeah, but again, that's um, mostly just based on Twilight. Yeah, uh, yeah, There's I've a actually. There. Yeah, I, 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 I actually enjoy her too. But no, you're you're completely right. I actually had uh, a similar conversation with a friend last week about Kristen Stewart. She's like, I can't stand her, and it was exactly what you said. Twilight is what people think of, and. She's literally supposed to be there, so the female audience can put themselves into her position completely. Yeah. So that that just makes sense. And I mean, that comes from it being like essentially a fan fiction of like is it an interview with a vampire? Anyway, it, it's basically a fan fiction of itself. Twilight was. <laughs> so, one one thing I liked about her character, they gave her the engineer role. But yeah. she didn't have the, I'm this mystical engineer that knows everything. Yes. She was definitely like a mechanical engineer. Like she didn't know computers that well. Yeah. <laughs> she could just kind of do them. And she was more like a hardware person. And I yeah. appreciate that they, I mean, as right as they could get it in a movie, that's only like an hour and a half. Yeah. They didn't go outside those bounds. Yeah. And straight it, up made the distinction. I I really like that. Like, that's that's just good good writing when it comes to the character because if she she's like oh i'm i'm gonna hack the gibson i'm like you're you're a mechanical engineer i mean i know you can have hobbies but like yeah you, you kind of have to stick to your various character roles in movies so that people understand who you are yeah there was one thing like right at the beginning that felt a little odd to me and while this is my first viewing of the film, as I said, like I, I did hear a little bit of discussion around the film. So it may have colored this and could be why it jumped out at me. And even without that. So her intro monologue was very nihilistic. Mm -hmm. But it was paired with her saving a spider and then immediately trying to go and rescue as many people as she could when she saw what was happening. That felt a little... Uh, well, if you take it from the perspective, if if she had gone with her fiance, she mm -hmm. would have been able to save him. I mean, just because some someone's cynical doesn't mean they're not going to try to help someone. It, as I said, like I mean, I know she said cynical, but it came across nihilistic, mm. which is which is the which is why I specifically said nihilistic mm. there, because that seemed a little out of place and just with her actions throughout the throughout the film that whole monologue at the beginning just felt off to me mm. i i don't think it quite set what it intended to but i mean her actions in the in those first few in that in those opening moments painted her character as she came across throughout the rest of the film someone who is actively trying to <laughs> To save people and well, I can reason it for you. All right, I can reason for from a tech or a psychological standpoint. All right, because of the internalized trauma what she had experienced, uh, it wasn't that she was actually describing herself as she is, but describing herself as what she would like to be to protect herself from. Okay, that kind of defense mechanism. 
I'm like this and she's, you know, a mantra telling her something like that so that maybe she doesn't feel or maybe she can escape what she's feeling. Mind you, there would be timing issues with that. And that's yeah. really me just saying a thing to make it work. I actually agree with you now. <laughs> but <laughs> from, from a psychological standpoint, it could fit with a throwaway line later. Yeah. Uh, okay. But maybe there's a scene or something. It definitely... They were probably going for the gradual... Her going from like nihilism to... I guess martyrdom in the end. Yeah. Like some type of growth or change in character. Didn't actually see much growth from her character. And I think whatever growth you could surmise from her during out during the film would have been via interpreta interpretation from Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Okay. It might have just been a weird story beat. I mean it was a good intro. But yeah, yeah, I felt it set up the world well. I think yeah. it's right. It, it could have literally just been like that, that timing aspect. Yeah, and I, I appreciate it. I actually appreciate it that they didn't do the twenty minutes with jerks. I appreciate it that they basically started right away with like, "Oh crap, the station's yeah. falling apart." And you're right. You know, having that spread out just a little bit might have uh, might have actually made that fit a little bit better. Maybe, maybe not like 20 minutes of jerks, maybe two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> two minutes with jerks. Uh, <laughs> so what what then do you think of Captain Lucian, Vincent Castle? I mean, pretty straightforward as a character. Came across as they tried to immediately paint him as like the... He, he treats his crew as something precious, as part of his family, and he wants to hold them up and be a good captain. Did you get that kind of vibe from him? Because I kind of felt it. Yeah, I, t I definitely had the family vibe. I think they uh, didn't... I didn't paint... I don't think they painted him well that way. Because during, during his intro, they kind of... To compare this to Event Horizon again, mm -hmm. uh, the captain from Event Horizon, immediately, you knew right off the bat within 30 seconds, like, this crew's a family, they look up to him, uh, he'll do anything for them. But I felt if that was painted in oil, Lucian was done in finger paints. So I, I see where you're coming from. I think there's a, there's a few differences with the character. Mm. So while I got that family feel, I, again, it could have been actually, painted from just other media that we've covered talked about in the past mm. i think he came across to me as you know the just the captain trope yeah. in general right like the i'm going down with my ship and such like this we didn't i mean the station apparently had like 400 people uh, we see six yeah i think it was like 316 16. or something like that yeah, yeah that's exactly it yeah so we don't see him that same situation and it's not like he's he's working with the tight-knit crew yeah some of these characters basically had never met yeah i definitely think like there was the aspect of the going down with the ship making sure the crew survives but it's clear that it, or rather it becomes clear that he was never worried about himself surviving i wonder like first <laughs> sorry i wonder uh <laughs> I wonder if he was simply just using the attachments of the crew to, again, me just saying random stuff. It, he's using the attachments that he has with the crew to fill the void is like lost family member. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I, what I think, right? I mean, clearly he didn't talk about his daughter much. Talked about her enough to know that she existed, mm. but not enough to know that she's been dead for like, 15 years <laughs> so i mean definitely that work is filling the void mm -hmm. and so i think like when he's sitting there i don't think it I, I don't think it was i don't think he was sitting in that escape pod bay with the going down with the ship i think i really did see that 
at the end as it's like, nah, he was ready. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. In hindsight, I definitely have that same feeling. Yeah. As far as, far as Rodrigo Nagenda or Mahmoudo Athi, yeah. I really wish he had more of a role in this film. Like, I liked his character. Like, the cautious, nervous type, but 10 yeah. minutes is what he got. I thought he could have been an interesting character, but I guess it would have clashed with Emily's archetype. It would have clashed with Emily's archetype and like overlap not yes that makes more sense (laughs) yes it would have been nice to have more of him at the same time his death he had one of the two heroic deaths Mm. he he knew full well he wasn't getting through that i mean you see that right away with the helmet it's like he picked up the helmet it had a crack he made sure no one else had it I really appreciated that about him because I had that moment when he picked it up. I'm like, well, that one's cracked. Why are you, why are you taking that one? It's true though. One of the two heroic deaths. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. Which is a really interesting take on, on the trip of the, of the black guy is the first to go, which Mm. is unfortunately a trope and it happened here, but I honestly feel it's averted at the same time because it's, he wasn't killed by the monsters. He knew exactly what he was doing. He did it. He was making sure he kept everyone else alive. Mm. So, um, a heroic death opposed to like something being... scared or chased or yeah. dragged away. Yeah. Yeah. I've... So, what about Mr. T.J. Miller? Paul Abel are continuously Alice in Wonderland spouting quirky character or smartass. So the Alice in Wonderland stuff aside, it's again, I just feel that was a bad tack on. It didn't didn't add anything to the film. Not that I could see. I mean, it would have been nice to have, you know, all of those Alice in Wonderland references be, I don't know, Lovecraftian references, maybe. (laughs) Or, (laughs) I mean, or have some type of parallel to the actual storyline of the show. Yeah. Uh, I was I was torn on Paul. I originally just did not feel that his character fit or suited the tone. It felt to me like, oh, it's a horror movie. You always got to have a smartass until halfway through his arc. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, no, he's he's good friends with Smith. You know, they have their secret bro handshake. Yeah. He's like a little bit weird and pathological, but you kind of have to be off to be at the bottom of the Mariana's Trench for like an extended period of time. Yeah. It's, I think it was his, he was humanized to me and not just a trope anymore when they went for the, the walk for the distress beacon. Mm. Because it was clear that in a very normal, natural way, he was super frightened, like very nervous. And he was just like, can we get out of here now? Yeah. Well, that's honestly what I felt with his, with his character. And some of it, you know, we, we kind of know what we expect of TJ Miller. Yeah. Um, but I think even his, his smarminess, is that the right word? His comedic pinnings mm. were, they didn't come across to me as, they didn't fully come across to me as just, being the funny guy Mm. they it came across to me when he was joking around as the nope this is this is my defense mechanism this is how i get through this well i went i went part way through that from being like you know this guy doesn't fit i'm not feeling him in the film to like almost projecting on him Mm -hmm. because in the way that uh you just mentioned him using humor as uh, escape or defense is what i'll do sometimes yeah and in a very similar way, it was a little over t- the top to start, but as it went, I could see myself in that position. Yeah. It was interesting. It's like at his death, there was no joking after that point at all. Mm-hmm. Either, right? So, which I think is another thing that, that points towards that being what they were trying to do with that. Like painting because, it with tone. Yeah. Because if they want it to 
if they wanted to have a funny guy throughout the film and to actually be that funny guy to alleviate the tension, they wouldn't have killed him off or they would have continued finding ways to have the, yeah. those moments. Well, they so, probably would have made Smith the the funny guy and yeah. then Paul would have been yeah. just some random. Yeah. No, I, so, I agree. You did, That does kind of enlighten me to the fact that it definitely took a darker tone after he mm-hmm. died. It... It's like he was the the moments be, before the dusk, like our sorry yeah. before during the dusk where uh, the moments before the sun has completely um, gone past. Yeah, and then just darkness, and that's yeah. what I kind of kind of got at that point. But that's also when the movie started getting good for me. Yeah, <laughs> like that's when when the tone changed and unexpected things started happening. I really liked Emily Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Haversham or Jessica Henwick. Yes. Great. I mean, another great actress in this film. I think they they all did great jobs with their parts, but I think Emily nailed her parts probably the most. Mm. Maybe it's her cadence, like her vocal cadence, but it really matched the... It wasn't like a frightened little girl trope. It was more of she has no idea what to do, very frightened, very lost, but still like a full-grown adult. Yeah. And she's just pushing forward because that's all she can do. Yeah. And like she nailed it spot on. She was a character to me that felt like there there was the most growth mm. in. Because again, you started out with that that... I am way out of my depth at, at the beginning. Um, I'm not 100% certain. No, I think she was just a researcher. I think it was her, like was a, her role. Like a right? biology something something. Yeah. The intern. Mm. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the research assistant. And, you know, clearly no idea what's going on. She was surrounded by the captain, one of the one of the engineers, you know, the two people that actually go outside and so it was yeah she was out of her depth uh gets poked at again by by paul oh that was the all right emily was... it's your time to shine <laughs> no i'm kidding with you <laughs> that 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 was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie i have yeah. to admit like it was just so unexpected and it he said it's so stone-faced like he was definitely the straight man in the bit and just like yeah. It, this is kind of a testament to her acting. Her face went completely still. Yeah. As what you would expect when the color drains from someone's face. I mean, obviously yeah. it didn't because you can't really repro- reproduce that. It had the mannerisms of she didn't know what to do or say and it probably could have made her go out there. Yeah. And, and, I mean, so, so you have that to her, you know, being frightened and basically kind of helping her through everything at the, at the beginning because she showed her death too it literally just being her and her her on un, unconscious uh her, her unconscious partner and just all she does she's just got to keep going as you said well the fact right? the fact that she like she went back for nora mm. to to drag her back i like huge growth because she yeah. had made it to the place, she had made it to the destination. You would ex- you would have expected her to just shut down. Yeah, and, and also like to the point that she was willing to be the last one, the last one out uh, of the of the station, and realizing when Nora's like, no, no, you go. Hmm. It's like, oh, I can help you fix that. Like, no, you can't. You're the biologist, but <laughs> just such a big change from the that color draining <laughs> situation earlier so i mean it's, it's always hard to talk, ha- talk about character growth in not just a short movie but a movie that takes place in a very short time mm. as well right so really seeing any character growth in a lot of these cases is a big thing and, and i think she she shone what she had more of that that was her where she shone like the actual well. growing character. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely loved... And yeah, 
her just the 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 work done by Jessica was was great. Oh, spot on! It was completely believable. This is a testament to great casting mm -hmm. as well, and a script working with the character or the script working with the actress, and then of course the actress being able to pull it off. Yeah. I'd love to say more about John Gallagher, Liam Smith, but didn't really do much in the film. Yeah. Just kind of got dragged oh. along. <laughs> it's more of this more of a suitcase than you know, like carry. Yeah. It, it it's interesting cuz I note it down as like, oh, there's no survived this i mean there was the ob there, there was the obvious things like okay the co2 scrubbers are gone it's like okay sure so yeah you're you become the dead weight because you literally can't exert anything to keep whatever little bit of air you have that type of thing in suit 13 and mm. <laughs> literally being dragged around it's like no 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 you're, you're one of the guys who gets to survive okay <laughs> I, I i expected him to have that moment where something like there's there's a cliff in in the underwater area that they are, and he like falls off of it, and Emily can't. They're attached by the cord, and Emily can't pull pull him up. So like, he can barely do anything, and he detaches himself. Yeah, I expected that kind of moment. Yeah, uh, but instead, I guess you you got just Emily just dragging him. Yeah, across the sea floor the entire way. Yeah. <laughs> Liam was just a catalyst for a physical catalyst, not an emotional or a mental one, but a physical <laughs> catalyst to Emily's uh, character growth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the cast. I think we covered everyone. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was funny because there was two other pe major people that were not notated in the, the cast. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, who's Poseidon? Poseidon Patty. Who's Godmother? So apparently, Amanda Troop was the AI. Okay. Or the uh, the announcer or whatever. And then Fiona Renee, I think Godmother, is Cthulhu. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So it's possible that she just made like groany noises to a sound a sound design person, and they just did something with. Man. I couldn't find a straight answer on that, uh, so I'm unsure. But I think that's how that. Yeah. Um, speaking of sound, yeah, sound design. Yes, no. I I I quite enjoyed the sound design. Mm. I thoroughly believe that they were underwater. With well, I mean, apparently they were underwater, but they having that carry through with the foley artists and such too. It's mm. I, did. I thought it was really good. There was definitely parts where it felt really good. Like I didn't get absorbed or pulled out by music. Which is always a bad thing for both of us. Yeah. I did find it cluttered sometimes. I didn't I didn't feel that it used silence well. It was just I don't... always something going on. I see where you're coming from. I think I might have slightly redefined silence mm. in this case. Because I know we've definitely talked about like the dead like pin drop silence. Yeah. And they didn't have the pin drop silence moments. But they had that I'm dunked underwater silence. So that's what I felt they were using. So they used the silence to yeah, to put in that underwater sound. So yeah, that was always there and always kind of that uh, oppressive feel is what I felt. Mm. So I'm not sure if that is in line with what you were thinking or not. I was thinking more like... Take, for instance, when they were on the station, you could hear groaning outside, um, or sounds outside, you could hear the groaning of the ship, you had music in the background, characters running. There was points where it seemed so cluttered, but not in situations that would be panic. So I'm not talking about as the ship is falling apart. Mm -hmm. I would have liked if it was more subtle, like during the walk. Uh, there's only one scene that came to me that via the sound design that they were able to express the isolation. Okay. And that was uh, when Nora was in the suit and like just breathing heavy, just like mm -hmm. looking around to really illustrate like how far away from any form of safety or savior that they actually are. Okay. 
but this also could have been compounded with the way it was filmed. So this could be yeah. just me talking about a specific thing when really it's an overarching thing mm. that might not have uh, described it well. Yeah, all right. I, I think I get what you're. I think I get where you're going with that. I I almost feel like to have like a pure silence moment like we we've seen in. In, in things like Silent Hill and, and such like that, I, I honestly think, personally, I don't think that would have been the right choice throughout it. Mm. I didn't feel it. I didn't really feel it cluttered, like York is. But I think that's because most of the sounds that I was hearing were sounds I would expect to be hearing in a station underwater that's mm. crumbling, and so really the only chance that you would have any type of silence in, in this situation is that scene with just Nora mm. looking around because either they're with everyone else literally trying to keep up any tiny bit of morale they could or everything was literally falling underneath, falling apart in them, right? Mm -hmm. It'd be like, I mean, I know you've been on ferries. It's not silent, right? There's always the sound of the engine or, mm -hmm. or something like that. And if it's silent that would be jarring. So it's just that's the, what I felt. Yeah, for sure. I did like, they were able to express via sound the underwater feel quite a bit. Like it did feel muffled and muddied in mm -hmm. such a way that uh, I appreciated it that way. But if I were to change, if I were to actually change one major thing about the sound design and like the music in this, it would have probably been like Buddy playing the radio. Hmm. In the suiting up bay, uh, it didn't really enhance his character, and it just kind of like pulled you out of the scene, but not in the levity way that you would expect. I don't completely disagree with you there, <laughs> because, and the reason I don't completely disagree. So, I think I disagree for the most part. I don't completely disagree because it did pull you out a little bit, but it's because you hear the music before you realize he's at a radio. Mm. so that part kind of jarred me but when he was there like again it it did actually play into his character i thought pretty well because he's like no no i'm trying to get some levity oh no this isn't working never mind <laughs> right which, which again goes back to the him using the comedy as a defense as his coping yeah as his defense right but each time he's done that and it didn't quite hit the mark he pulled back right away turned off the music right away again immediately is like no i'm going out not you emily right like i think was... yeah i think a different choice there would have been would have been best yeah yeah i that's why i say like i, I partially agree it's it it could have been handled slightly differently than they did it oh for sure i don't know exactly how but yeah, yeah. i agree i do like those suits though they kind of transitioning from like sound to set production that sort of thing the way that the the suits looked reinforced and built in such a way when they walked it sounded like they they were as heavy as they were it there was definitely some weight behind them and they definitely looked like they felt reinforced but it, it does give you that initial idea of, hey, like these are deep sea sea diving suits. But I also had that kind of mo moment of like, if you're that deep, that suit's not actually going to do much. But I will suspend my disbelief. <laughs> Good, sir. So it, it's, it's interesting. I like it definitely let me suspend my disbelief. Like I looked at it, it's like, no, this looks like power armor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I had that thought too, actually. Yeah, like, this is exactly what I would expect for a power armor. So it, even though you're right at those depths, yeah, it's not doing anything. <laughs> well, that's a, a fun little trivia thing that I found afterwards, um, or trope thing that I found. But um, they clearly made them. They designed them with with the thought in mind that. These things are supposed to be seven miles under the sea. Yeah. Um, so they had the bulk. Um, there, there was a funny comment about the suit, about 
And that threw me off a little bit. It's like when like they had to crawl through that tunnel mm. just just before um Paul gets killed. And I was like, let me go. I'm the smallest. I'm like, none of you are small. You're all wearing this same suit this thing wasn't built for you <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no apparently these suits were practical they were 140 pounds like these were not light things one of the tropes that i was reading about that it's playing loose with with physics mm. if they're that far underwater if it's dripping water like that when the there's the first starts of cracks that means that they're at that pressure, which means, yeah, the suit and everything should be fine because the suit and the air are all going to be that heavy pressurized, which means technically we shouldn't have seen Rodrigo <laughs> get imploded. But again, my disbelief, quite suspended. Well, I mean, it didn't need to be well, super suspended, honestly. Well, I, I definitely had that, like, I watched a movie Good Moments when I was like, that wouldn't survive at those depths they did a really good job with those was my next immediate thought yeah and they i feel like they did a really good job with the set design and structure designs all together mm -hmm. like even the the computer door panel seemed more functional than high tech yeah like it is something that you could pull apart and fix when you're that far underwater like the hallways Mm -hmm. And the stru the structures of the underwater station are what actually illustrated the seclusion to me. Yeah. And that was even before, like, the incident happened. Yeah. Yeah, they did, they did that really well. Um, apparently, they used the same set for both the starting station and the ending station. Yeah, Just kind of moved the shrimps around. I mean, makes sense. But, yeah. But it, it, it felt... Like I would expect an underwater lab to look like. Yeah. Like it was, it was mostly industrial, but realizing that there's people living there, like the idea was function. And again, it did kind of immediately give that isolation feel. Mm. Like, like you said, it's like, you know, you know, there's nothing out there. <laughs> well, there's not supposed to be any. Yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah. And sorry, what you were saying with the suits as well about how you felt they were. Well, there again, was that ah, wouldn't work. Yeah, they well, they actually they actively said that it's like they're probably not going to last as long as we need them to. Yeah, like they were meant for quick quick things, right? Um, I mean, really, spacesuits are are the same thing. They're not meant for you to be out there for a long time. They're meant for you to be out there for the half hour hour you need to fix something, and that's it. Yeah. So I wanted to talk again about the suits anyways, because it kind of matches with the wear of the station. They looked used. The environment yeah. looked inhabited. The, uh, the suits looked like they were in good repair, but probably could use a reconditioning yeah. or even replacement. The it's, it was a lived in environment. Yes. Opposed to something shiny and new, which I, I also appreciated. Like I didn't, consciously realize it until partway through the movie when i was kind of thinking back to the spider scene again mm -hmm. i was like that sink was actually really grungy yeah like it wasn't brand new it was obviously a sink that had been used or been prepared in such a way that looked to you and in just to clarify is it's, it's it looked lived in it didn't look messy or unkept well, yeah, it looked like there was like a cleaning crew, but it's also a big station that's you know. Yeah. You you got you got underwater station things to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, yeah, they did it. Kind of goes just like the set design again was done really well in that regards because for a movie where we only see six people, the station before everything fell apart didn't feel like there was only six people there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I really appreciated that. I kind of appreciated the the midway point station as well. It was a little odd, but you could tell it was an older station that wasn't used as much. Um, it did kind of jump out to me. It's like, if this station's been abandoned, why is there a foosball table still here? Oh, <laughs> I, w I, was, I wasn't thinking about that. I did go, hey, a foosball table. 
my my issue with that station was like her her first instinct when she got there was to cry in a shower it didn't make sense to me i'm like i would it would have made more sense to me if she like closed the door and just passed out for a while but to like be crying in a shower i just it didn't feel right to me but that's a completely different that's one of those things where i feel like like knowing that there's scenes missing nowhere near to the extent of other movies where we know what was missing like, i have no idea what was cut in this one it's almost like you know just a scene like her trying to call out first mm. and not hearing anyone or, or, or something like that and it's like okay well this is what it is now i i think i think that's what they were going for i think it's like she just figured she was completely alone mm. she was the only one there so yeah i could see crying in a shower or something like that so again i think that kind of leans back to that little bit where there's just been those few things that were off just because of the timing around it not because the reaction was necessarily wrong or bad well for that for that midpoint station there was a lot a lot of things in there it's like why why would you leave your suit and your id badge there why would you like there was books there like why why did they leave this and didn't make sense in that way i I see one thing i did like and it was some of that done funny dark humor that you kind of get in these sort of things when they panned up that sign and at the top of the sign it said working alone is against company policy oh nora oh nora <laughs> i yeah i that's kind of funny too uh oh yeah the, the midway point station to me just you know oh i have an idea okay so i think i know why midway point was like that mm. why it was abandoned and such like this so during the opening exposition, they've been there for a while. Like the, the mining company's been there for a while. We mm. know this. We know that station, like the Midway station, was an old one that isn't used anymore. And we know by the end, kind of um, scenes, like the newspaper clippings and such, that the company is completely going back there. They're doing this again. They know that. Mm. This isn't the first time it happened. Mm. Was that what they were alluding to with like the scribblings behind the captain's clothing? What I, I think wondered. so. There was something that just didn't sit well. Like I had the same kind of thought and it didn't sit well for me. And there was a couple scenes like that. It it makes me wonder like what did they cut? Was there a throwaway line that would that they threw they actually threw away and I'm missing something now. Yeah. Well, what? So, I mean, this is clearly me adding to the film stuff that wasn't clearly written in the film. Yeah. But knowing just the, knowing that this is canonically Cthulhu and what we know of Cthulhu is there's always cultists that are trying to awaken Cthulhu. Mm. So clearly the company is going back there. Clearly they know what's going on definitely implied that they knew it was going on before this happened as well. Mm. Right. So yeah, it makes sense that like I could write in my head that, you know, they are trying to awaken Cthulhu first station failed or whatever. So they were forced to abandon it, which explains why again, there's an ID badge left in the locker with the suits and explains why it was, because like, there was stuff strewn about mm. in that station as well, and if it hadn't been touched, I would expect that stuff to be gone, or well, I mean, at least it, organism. No, because if it if it was deserted rapidly, yeah, to the point where it's legitimately you get up and you aboard you board the escape vessel, yeah, then you would find that condition. A good example would be an episode of Firefly where they legitimately board this vessel and mm. in the dining halls, like the food trays are still sitting there. Yeah. And they're, um, yeah, I know, I know exactly what episode you're talking about. I can't remember what that one's called. Yeah. Like the first one with the reaper with the reapers, right? Yeah. 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 So if you, if you have to leave run or there's something that that's that much of an emergency, you might find something in that condition. I'm wondering, and you have to remember, loosen 
specifically said that that station wasn't an option. Mm. Right? And he was, we know for a fact, he was there. I wonder about, I'm wondering, I may have seen something in the opening credits, but I thought it was simply in, I think I missed something in opening credits. Yeah. That illustrates what you're saying. And I think it backs up what you're saying. Yeah. Because I remember seeing something about a previous incident, and that would make sense that the Midway Station or whatever would was that. So, I mean, what yeah. you're saying makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I, I can't remember the, like, they definitely flash by pretty quickly. Like, mm -hmm. If I sat there pausing it frame by frame, probably get, actually get a huge chunk of story. But that's not completely feasible on a first viewing us. No. So. Well, especially, like, if you want to actually watch the movie, watch the movie while yeah. taking notes or analyzing it. Yeah. You want to enjoy it, too. Mm -hmm. The There was actually another scene that didn't sit well with me, and it, it... Till the end. Oh, sorry, to rephrase that. There's another scene that didn't sit well with me even past the ending. The opening scene with the spider, mm -hmm. I thought was going to be some dark foreshadowing. Because originally it looked like she was going to try to wash it down the drain. Mm -hmm. But instead she didn't and she pulled it out of the sink where it couldn't get out. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can't drown spiders. I'm pretty sure when you wash them down the drain, they just dry out and crawl back out. Because they don't breathe in the same way we do. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> That might be just me with my stupid spider fact, but <laughs> um, I, I just had that moment. I'm like, I couldn't place it, and it it didn't make sense to me until uh, I was reading about the film after. But apparently, it was supposed to like, you know, endear you to Nora, and I don't. Well, I mean, I already kind of talked about that. Like, I, yeah. it, it was it's it was kind of out of place, especially in relation to the monologue. Yeah. And and that's the bigger thing to me is like, I don't think it would, I think it would have been fine if it wasn't for the monologue. Again, it's just that one second to show it, it, it's the, the pet, the dog moment, mm. right? We're, we're not, we're clearly not spending any time with these characters before everything, you know, goes to hell, goes to hell. It's so, yeah, it was supposed to be that pet, the dog moment. It's like, uh, yeah, the, the hesitation to, of killing it right and just saving it instead it was supposed to show that she cares if the monologue wasn't there if she wasn't literally talking about what's the point <laughs> while saving the spider set seven words on the end of that monologue mm -hmm. would have made it fit so much more perfectly All and right. again i'm never one to say that a film should be changed in any other way but like to make it felt fit at the end of the monologue, she could say, or at least I keep telling myself. Yes. Yeah. And then you're just like, that monologue fits, everything kind of falls into place. Yeah. But like the spider, I don't, there's always that one little thing you get caught up on. And that's, for me, it was the spider thing. And it's probably because of my super smart spider fact. But I'm just like, spider wouldn't have been fun anyways. But then I was also like, how is this going to apply to the film? Is there a foreshadowing? I mean, I guess it kind of was foreshadowing because she did save the other two and martyr herself, but I was kind of, I thought, I actually thought the captain was going to martyr himself and push Nora into a skate pod in the end. And then when the captain died, I was like, I mean, it makes sense that he died, but yeah, now I don't know what's going on with the ending. And again, that made the movie go from, to kind of revisit what I was saying before, that unexpectedness and those, those cho choices made made the movie go from something I probably wouldn't say I enjoyed per se watchable is probably what I would have said. I give this one f four escaped crew members out of six. Yeah. Actually, yeah that, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds about good. Right. Actually. I, I think this movie, I, I, it was just a lot of things. Movie that should were... have done better than it did. Yes. Like and, and that that's to go way back. That's, that's why I'm saying like I could see this becoming that that cult classic. Like I mean, I'm looking at the the meta score of like 48, 48 out of from Metacritic. You know, the fan ratings were 
Well, they, I think they've gone up a bit, but like apparently when it first came out, like they were below fifty on well, like, Rotten Tomatoes and such. I, I only and, ever look at the fan rating. Yeah, and it's. I think this movie ran into a few different issues. It became out while there were a lot of other horror movies coming out right before, you know, movie theaters weren't allowed to exist anymore. There's a lot going against this movie in that regard. So I'm not surprised it's technically a flop. I think it deserves a lot more than a lot more than it did get. And I would say in the realm of sci-fi like adventure horror, because it wasn't expressly horror to me. Yeah. Like it definitely had that more cosmic horror feeling yeah. with, without having the thriller sides that you would expect from like a cosmic horror. This is definitely top tier in that grouping ammo. Yeah. But you know what? I, I would look forward to a sequel. Yeah. I would like to see what they would do. Unfortunately, we, we couldn't have Nora, but yeah, you could bring back some of, well, I guess there's only two characters survived, but you could bring back, you know, my girl, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. Do it in true horror sequel where she comes at back just like a hyper badass. Straight up. Goes goes Ari Alice for no reason. I'm joking about that. I would enjoy a, a sequel to this, especially if it followed the same tone. But if they did one, like I wouldn't include any of these characters. Just refer to them, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I felt for a movie that literally takes place on like a couple miles stretch a few miles under the ocean they did surprisingly good with world building like mm. i'm interested in what's going to happen in this world <laughs> i i i like that and that's one of the things that like both of us kind of look for in a film and that's what's going on in the world i, I want to know what's going on with this company with the drill I want to know, uh, like, what the government bodies are going to do about it. What a few, what the future crew is going to encounter. Yeah. So just that curiosity based on the world building that they're able to do, really just via a few snippets at the start and end, and the character design. Yeah. Like they did a fabulous job that way. We we had that, and again, like you see so many disaster movies or, or horror movies where the plots just kind of there <laughs> this actually made logical sense with what they were doing like yeah nothing jumped out which is another reason why it, it helps my overall rating of the thing and just and they made a believable world with believable cast with literally no introduction to the cast that's that's impressive the actors were cast they're cast right very well yeah i would i would want to see more Maybe over water. Over water? <laughs> <laughs> Snakes on a sub. Uh, <laughs> if they made a sequel, I'd want to see it Cloverfield-esque. Mm -hmm. Same world, completely different situation. Yeah. Is it in a space station? Is it in a bunker? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. The only thing you need to have is the TN company again. <laughs> Just so yeah. you know it's the same one, right? Unfortunately, they don't. They don't have the same like virality structure kind of built onto this one. Mm -hmm. Something like Cloverfield did. It'd be hard to sell that second, but appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, we're got slammed at the box office for reasons already kind of mentioned. Yeah. It's very unlikely we'll get a sequel. There's a couple other interesting production things that I'd like to point out feels a decent time to do that mm. so in my uh little bit of research around this it was filmed like a lot of the stuff is filmed practically they yeah. were actually under they were actually underwater while doing it chris stewart thought that was all going to be cgi <laughs> and uh she is deathly afraid of being underwater oh oh yeah so good on her <laughs> she uh that's probably why she sold some of that pretty well. <laughs> like, if it was me crawling through those, like, constrained, like, that triangle bit at the beginning, I would just, I'd be like, nope. Yep. 
<laughs> I know they did some have some out of water stuff, like people on cranes getting flipped about for like the scene where the captain gets dragged away. But yeah. I know that good portion of it, all that suit work was done in the water. Yeah. yeah. And I felt that because like again, I, I've noted this a few times. It's kinda like I wonder how much of this is practical. Mm. And I don't know, there's something, like, we, we talked about this again in Silent Hill ages ago. It's like, you can tell even if you can't tell when something's done practically. And, and and this showed that, you know, they had to move differently. And it's why it looked so believable when you just kind of saw stuff loading in front of them. Mm. Because it was just loading in front of them. It wasn't added in post. Um, yeah, it didn't come off as some type of... Um... Yeah, post effect definitely yeah. came off. Like they introduced something in the water to make it murky. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that. Seemed to have lost the other couple of neat little production notes that I had. Oh, that's so, okay. Yeah. All right, I guess with that, this has been the Beardy and the Beast Media Club. Join us next time uh, around the second wall for the season finale and recap of Carol and Tuesday. After that, Media Club will gather to discuss Princess Mononoke. Look forward to it. As always, if you enjoyed what we do, follow, like, and join the discussion in the comments. Check out a list of services and socials that we're available at at beardyandthebeast.com. Later. Have a good one.